a listener production. This episode is brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. It's time for another episode of The Grill, and I don't mean a full kind of current affairs style grilling, no scrum fights with microphones or stories about the best value for money nail polish here. Our grill is just like that sexy looking front of a sports car that you've always wanted, cutting edge, groundbreaking. Yes, admittedly, the hosts and the word sexy should never be used in the same sentence together. This is a show about the auto industry, some great Aussies who are in it doing tremendous things, trends around things like vehicle sales and lots of fun yarns on things with wheels that you mightn't know. Hi everybody, Greg Russ with you. Thank you for coming on this road trip with us. The grill is kind of a great companion for the journey. Perfect tonic too if you are stuck in traffic right now. Let's all take a deep breath, folks. After the past couple of years, I'm okay with a bit of traffic. That's a good thing. And the reason I'm okay with it is because I get to carpool with these guys. Shane Jacobson, Jeff Willem, hello. Hello. Hello, mate. How are you going? You've had a massive schedule, Shane. I mean, we talked about Hairspray in a recent episode. Return now of Australia's Got Talent too, which is cool. And that, my friend, must feel pretty good after COVID, given that it kind of basically hit the brakes right at the start line for not one but two years, didn't it? Yeah, we had about, three, I think, two or three false starts. I, I was I was a part of a three different lineups that that n- never happened. So we did a photo shoot with a whole bunch of us and then COVID hit and then we had new ones coming in and then that didn't happen. We, yeah, we're so, uh, you know, we had Neil Patrick Harris flown to Australia with Alicia Dixon and they were put up in accommodation in Sydney and they isolated for two weeks and then they got put Not on a plane. Ball. Yeah, they got put on a plane and flown back and, yeah, so, uh, yes, we it's finally coming out. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it was it was a long while coming but, uh but well worth the wait. It's a cracking show. We have a ball. Have you been out for a drive recently? Maybe Noisy Q, maybe that awesome ute of yours, a little escape or a bit of man cave time. Very important, Shane. Have you been squeezing a bit of that in, in the during the schedule? I had some friends come down to stay at my place, my wife's friends from Sydney, literally uh, on the weekend just gone. And uh, they hadn't been to our place and they said, oh, you know, we've, we've got some cars here and went into some of the sheds to have a look at nice. some of the cars. And, nice. and he said, oh, that HQ looks good. No, noisy Q, why is it called that? And you and said. I, and I said, do you want me to start it? And he had his, <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> and he had, his three young, he had his three young girls in the shed. Oh, nice. Now, Shane, our friend is going prime time. We may have to get a media window to talk with Jeff Gwillem going forward. He's about to appear <laughs> in a big television commercial. Oh, no. It's about to drop, Jeff. Come on, tell us well, about this. What, what's happening? Well, well, I'm is not in it, but album? the heads are in it. So, you, you know those things you used to put on your dashboard, the little yeah. Hawaiian dance yeah, and those yeah, sorts yeah. of things? Well, this is a David Dowsey from the VAC. This is a, his idea, great idea. It's about careers. It's about attracting young kids in. And we've got these characters, Jake and Beck and Bob and Sean. And what they're designed to do is to talk to young people about careers in the industry. It's going to be on telly. It's a great idea. It's a great engagement activity. And I've said to David, David, we need some of these on our dashboard, bobbling away as we drive. I'm looking forward to it. Where's, do we? Do me and Rusty get one? No. No. <laughs> if we, I, want, I want one. If, we, want if one. we call DD, the office, do we? will David give us? I reckon some we can sort heads? something out. But uh, a great idea and. Uh, 
you know, we need a lot of kids in this industry. We need a lot more apprentices coming through. We need yeah. a lot, even mature adults. We'll take them. And uh, if the bobbleheads are another way to get them in, let's do it. This is this could be our pioneer into <laughs> into the, the grill merchandise, grill merch, <laughs> merch. We, we we haven't had a chat about the grill merch. No. no. Hey? <laughs> what what about we go with the American version of a grill, which is those big gold teeth that you put on the front. I reckon we need to sell. You'd look great with one of those golden grills. (laughs) (laughs) We've got to at least get a picture done. Here we go. I'm going to put it out. We're going to put this out to someone out there. I at least want someone out there to doctor up an image of the three of us (laughs) with those gold grill teeth on it. Send it Love it. All right, there's the challenge for our listeners. Great. Looking forward to it. We can put it online. (laughs) Hey, Rusty, did I see, in fact, I know I did. You were at the VACC Women in Automotive Luncheon recently um, with the wonderful Molly Taylor, who's been on on this show, and as as everyone knows, I'm a massive fan of hers as well as a friend, as are you, mate. What was that event like? Tell us about that. Unreal. Some very driven um, women in the automotive sector in all different kinds of areas, Shane. So I went along as a guest uh, with Nadine Armstrong and I've been working with her in a, in a couple of other areas of, um, of automotive and I got to um, see again some of the team that we've uh, we've even had on as, as industry guests here on the podcast too. But yeah, I left that day. Um, I think the room, we were at, the, um, we were at a venue uh, by the Grand Prix track there in Melbourne and we had probably three or 400 people and to walk away with uh, up-and-coming women that are working in motor racing, for example, and those that are well-established in uh, senior and executive positions, very, very inspiring day, mate. It was terrific. Yeah, it was the carousel, wasn't it? You were at the carousel. Yeah. It was, yeah. exactly. That's what exactly. it looked like, according to your pictures. Exactly. Now, coming up on this episode, travel tips with Jeff, who's been all around the world, cars <laughs> and the queen. Our industry guest rules a whole state, can you believe it? And our feature interview is with a bloke who turned 40 this year, but he's kept his youthful looks. God, I hate him already. Uh, And he just happens to be really handy on a motorcycle as well. But we cannot start an episode of The Grill without this. The cop this this week is something I was unaware of until it was brought to my attention. I don't know if anyone knows. There'll be, there'll be listeners who'll know this. Years ago, there was a police car, drag car, and its registration was cop this. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I, I didn't even know. Awesome. Cop- copyright issue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, they stole. They stole our idea ten years before <laughs> we had right. it. <laughs> so it's a 1994 uh, VR wow. Holden Commodore that was a drag car in Queensland. But literally, someone said to me, "So did you steal the name Cop This from oh. the Cop This car?" And I went, "I don't even know Never about this Cop This it. car. Never no. heard of it." I like so it. did a bit of research. Yeah. So the thing um, used to go. So what they did. Uh, in fact, we had. Um, we had Smokey One in, in in Victoria. We used to have a cop car called Smokey One, which was one of those yellow you know, highway patrol cars, and it used to do stuff at Calder Park. And and the idea was to have police dragging people on drag strips in safe conditions. And it was the which I thought was a great idea. It was yep. the police saying, yep. "We get it. It's a bit of fun. You know, do it in the right place." Yeah, exactly. Some yep. of our you know my, my copper mates you know love cars like we do. You know. Sure. They get it, but do it safe, right? Yeah. So um, they had the same thing in Queensland, which I wasn't aware of. So this thing lay dormant <laughs> for 10 years. So it did the same thing. It went on drag you know, drag strips and dragged against cars under safe conditions and controlled circumstances. Anyway, it lay dormant for a while, and then one of the coppers up there found out it was sitting there, so he's done 600 man hours worth of work on it in his own time, 
And it's, uh, it's, it's, it was at Ecker this year. This is how it all came about. <laughs> One of our listeners said, yeah, they had it on display at Ecker um, up in Brizzy. So, yeah. So nice. the Very cop nice. this. What a great story. The cop this is there's a car called Cop, cop This. this. So I want to do some fundraising. I want that car. It should be that. There you go. There's some merch for us, our own drag car. <laughs> now, we want and love audience participation in this uh, on this show. If you happen to be at the Eck there, if you saw this car and got a photo of it, yeah. can you send us one? Info at thegrillpodcast.com.au. Maybe you've seen, we love the men and women who are in the police force and the great job that they do, but if you've seen some cool number plates along those lines that have been used in the various promotional activities they've done over the years, send us a uh, send us a note and let us know. We'd love to hear about it. Let's take a quick break from this episode of The Grill to talk about Bendix brakes, specifically their EV hybrid brake pads, engineered for electric and hybrid vehicles. Bendix EV hybrid brake pads are designed to meet the changing needs of of EV braking systems, constructed from organic materials to ensure a low environmental impact, while at the same time delivering low dust and quieter operation. This means low particle emissions under braking, cleaner wheels, that's the bit I like, and longer brake disc life which, to be honest, is probably the most important bit rather than getting dirty mags. These pads also utilise Bendix Green Titanium Stripe technology for instant friction without the need for bedding in after fitment. Ask your mechanic to fit Bendix EV hybrid brake pads, available from all good Bendix stockers. Bendix, put your foot down with confidence. Speaking of brakes, Rusty, time for breaking news. Don't you love when they kickstart the news by saying, but first tonight, like the big story, uh, we had a great reaction, Jeff, great reaction to you beaming in from Norway last episode as a part of a really important mission to kind of see what's happening globally in this rapidly changing auto landscape. And uh, in many parts of Europe, they're ahead of us, so there are great lessons that we can learn from that. Um, At that stage, I think you were very early uh, on the journey. You kind of went full getaway global reporter on us taking in uh, Sweden, the Netherlands, Germany. Uh, I think you even went to the motherland, UK, where you were from uh, originally as well. Mm. We really want to know a little bit more about it, Jeff. So uh, uh, give us a sense, unpack a bit of that and and essentially what you and your counterparts in other state and territory motor trades associations were up to. Well, look, it was a great opportunity. We've been liaising with some of these motor trade associations and government departments for the last two years, Zooming and all that sort of stuff. But um, what we really wanted to do was get on the ground in workshops, talking to people where the electric vehicle transition is miles ahead of Australia. I mean, we are late adopters to this area. And uh, right now there's a white paper that's been released this week. Uh, the federal government are going to put together an electric vehicle plan for Australia. And that, that's opened uh, till the end of the month. And we're looking with that with great interest. However, you know, we went over to started in Norway with Stig, that is his name, and it is a very common name. And actually, there's a <laughs> you know, you got. I know you guys wanted me to wear the t-shirt. I said no. <laughs> I think we insisted. You, you still did, refused. But, but <laughs> anyway, he's a great guy, and his team were fantastic. And you know what they did is they walked us through a whole lot of scenarios. And one of the things that people said to us through Europe, they said Australia's got the capacity to leapfrog the things that they've done because. Not everything goes right when you roll out a whole new infrastructure and a whole new policy design around your vehicles. You know, for instance, they're taking charges out that aren't good enough that we need to not even put in. So 7 to 15 kilowatt charges in public spaces are a waste of time. 
because you're going to sit there for about four hours to get eight kilometres in your car. Right. So, you know, there's a whole lot of learning that's occurred. You know, when you go to Norway, you look around, it's obvious in that market that electric cars have been fully incentivized. Last year, nearly 70% of all new cars sold for electric vehicles. However, 15 years in, only 15% of their total vehicle fleet is electric. So what that tells us is, is that moving your internal combustion engine fleet to electric vehicles is not something you can do quickly. Mm. But there are again, there are things, there are learnings that occur uh, in other countries, simple things, design things. You know, in Germany, for example, they've got this traffic light system on your car, yellow, red, green. That tells you where you can and can't drive your car in different zones. So you get a zone map. And it says, you've got a, a, a dirty old car that was made in, I don't know, 1974. The uh, the pollution on that car is not good enough. You can't take that red car. It's got a red dot on the windscreen, size of an old tax disc. You can't take that dot, that car, anywhere in these red zones, which is just basically wow. about every town in Germany. You can take that yellow car in some areas and you can take the green car wow. in other areas. And, you know, it, it's some, some simple modelling that's occurred in these countries that's helped consumers get a grip on what the vehicle, electric vehicle transition is all about. But can I say something in secret just because it's just us here today? Yeah. Can I, Greg, is this just secret? It's just Course. us? Of course. No just, one's listening. No, actually, no, 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 we'll, we'll keep, we'll, oh, hang we'll on. keep it. I'm just going <laughs> to shut the door behind me. Hang on, hang on. That's right. Okay, it's just us now. Go. This is my view based on what I've learned in five different countries, okay, that electric vehicle targets in each country is aspirational. Nobody said you're going to get there by 2030 or 2035. But what the governments have said and the, the industry commentators have said to us is if you don't have an aspirational target, you're not going to get anywhere. So when we talk about 2030 and 2035 in Australia and what that might mean in terms of the size of the electric vehicle fleet, uh, don't panic about that because this transitional journey isn't five years or 10 years. It's probably 15, 20 or 25 because you can't move a whole vehicle fleet off of petrol and diesel to electric. In a rush. Did, a rush. did Stig say in our last step when you were over there that it was a 15 or 20-year journey that they've been on as a country? Is that what he said? So they started their actual policy work in 1990. 1990. They started looking at policy in 1990, and then they've moved forward, and, and of course, more lately, their vehicle fleet take-up's been a lot more aggressive. In 1990, we weren't even talking about electric cars in Australia in 1990. Correct. It was it was fict- it was like it was that was Back to the Future. It was a movie called Correct. Back to the Future or something. Jeff, can we talk cost to the government? I mean, you used the word incentivisation before, and you've talked about you know uh, supply. Let's bring both of those factors in mm. as you bring all this stuff, um, you know, to Australia with the idea of incentivisation, et cetera, what's it going to cost the government and and what are the thoughts on vehicle supply as we move forward? Okay, so let's talk about incentivisation first. So incentivisation could be at the industry level and they've got a bit of that coming through now with FBT release, a relief on electric vehicles as long as they're under the luxury uh, car tax threshold. So there's FBT relief for companies that have got company cars and individuals that have got company cars. Um, so... And around the world, they've done a little bit around industry support. But where the real incentive is, it's around how much are you going to give me as a consumer to buy an electric car as opposed to an internal combustion engine car? And our position is, and there's a politician that's made the same claim today, our position is is that gap's about a $15,000 gap. That's what you need to get people from A to B. 
Now, in Norway today, if you ask 10 people what it's cost them in terms of incentivization, you'll get 10 different answers. Because if you go down to the real metrics of it in terms of what you've lost on tolling because they incentivize tolling and they incentivize parking and everything. But conservatively today, in this year, $2.8 billion is incentivization into that market to get people into electric cars. And it would have been twice and three times that at the beginning of that journey. This is really interesting, Greg, because, you know, a government can't just rely on momentum, on people's sentiment about whether they move into an electric car or not. If you, all the evidence is in the UK, Sweden, Norway, Netherlands, the bigger that you incentivize the movement to electric cars, the faster you get there. If you hold back on incentivization to individuals, it's going to be a very, very long journey. And this is a real challenge for the Australian government. We've got a trillion dollars worth of debt at the federal level. We know that the economy is softening. And, you know, is this government up to putting its hand in its pocket and saying, if we're really committed to reducing CO2 emissions by 43% by 2030, that's the mandate, and vehicle emissions are 18 to 19% of CO2 emissions in Australia, what are we willing to pay to get consumers out of their ICE vehicles? into a, either a hydrogen, if it's a truck, or into an electric vehicle, or even a low emission vehicle, which is a plug-in hybrid. Jeff, what about, I mean, for zero low, or you know, low emission vehicles, LEVs, what, what are they going to cost in the future? And what's Australia's opportunity here? Okay, well, the opportunities, uh, my, my, my view is the opportunities are in battery manufacture. Um, now, it's funny, in the olden days, we used to have cars bought here called knockdown kits, okay? Knockdown kits were cars uh, stamped, and produced in another country, put into a, a packing crate, build, bought over here and put them, build them together. That was more about labour and that was more about control of border around jobs and, and enterprise. So that was about making sure that people in Australia had a job and fully built cars were very hard to import with they had high tariffs on them. You know, the question in my mind is, is there a time where a Hilux is made offshore, fully assembled except for the drivetrain and the battery, and the drivetrain, which is a motor or two motors, and the battery are actually put in in Australia because there's no real value in building big, heavy batteries in Australia, exporting them to China or Europe, getting that battery put into a vehicle and then shipping that vehicle back here. The mm. weight is just phenomenal. So I think there are some opportunities there, of course. There's a lot of dialogue in the newspapers around you know, minerals and lithium and and there's, there are huge opportunities for Australia in that space as well. But the the arguments being, Greg, is to not just dig things up and ship them out. It's to dig them up and mm. refine them and do something with them to actually value add them in this country and pro- create jobs through that. Let's, gentlemen, bounce through some other news now. Very sadly, the world stopped to mourn the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II since our last show. Lizzie loved cars. And Jeff, I think you were actually there at the time, weren't you, for the funeral and so on. What was that like? Well, I was in Mayfair. This was actually halfway through uh, this exploration. We were talking to the government in the UK. We were in Mayfair, me and the other motor trades associations. And it was on the Wednesday and uh, Green Park, which which backs onto Hyde Park, was just, you know, the street behind us. And I came out of the hotel at seven o'clock in the morning. Now, by the way, during that week, Half of London had been locked down. There were police everywhere. They flew police in from all around the country. What actually happened was is that as I walk out of the hotel, uh, 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, just walk around the corner to Green Park, there are thousands of people 
all heading towards Green Park to go through there. It's where all the flowers went then on to... At 7 in the morning. At 7 o'clock in the morning, thousands, okay? And there wasn't a word. It was just spookily silent. The coppers everywhere standing on the side of the road. Everybody was... It was like a river of people running into Hyde Park, and it was unbelievable. Every shop in London had a picture of the Queen and a comment under that was just... And it doesn't matter whether you're a royalist or not. It was a reflection on a on a lady that had worked a long time and dedicated her, her life to a particular cause. And every shop had a statement about, you know, wishing, you know, the, the Queen was still here and, you know, they were sorry that she was gone. But that morning when those people were going all the way through into Hyde Park, thousands and thousands like a river, and it was it was, it was was eerie, but it was a beautiful moment as well. And, you know, 7 o'clock at night when the, the whole thing was over by 2 o'clock, 7 o'clock at night they were still going through all day. Land Rover and cars uh, featured right throughout mm. her, her life. Amazing. I mean, I think Land Rover is one of four British companies that have actually been granted that that royal um, mm. warrant. Uh, and she was, she was regularly pictured behind the wheels. She was at age 19. I think she worked for the ATS Transport Division and actually did five months of mechanical training right. or mechanic training. And she was a princess she obviously, at that stage. Yeah, yeah. Yes, she did. And and they called her, they affectionately called her at that stage, Princess Auto Mechanic. Yeah. Really? Territorial Army. Yeah. 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 In the territory. Yep. I did not know that. Yep. Pictures of her in Jaguars. Um, she drove a, a Vauxhall, a wagon, a customised Vauxhall in the 60s that had room for lots of, of other things. I mean, to think at 90, uh, 96 years of age, she was still kind of really – a keen motorist. It's a, it's an amazing story. I think, Greg, I think she was a great ambassador. When when Britain was still making cars, you know, she only drove British-made cars and yeah. she was a great ambassador for the British car. Hey, quickly, a couple of other things that caught our attention this month. Keanu Reeves is making a doco about Braun GP's win of the 2009 Formula One World Championship. That's amazing. That was a kind of against all odds um, scenario. And they got Jensen Button back, uh, reconnected with the car and in the race suit very recently. Some crazy is selling a Bentley Arnage uh, wagon. It's a Woody with oh, the wood size. Yeah, it looks it. like something it's out of the Chevy Chase vacation movie. It's terrible. <laughs> it's horrific. And uh, you uh, you spotted a 75 um, two-door Tirana orange Lloyd's auctions. This was quite cool, wasn't it? It was. What I didn't like about it was they were banging on about it being that, yeah, it is a bit of a rare colour, if you will, that orange. They were making out it was a bad thing. I, I, I always liked that colour, even though it looked odd, you know, every manufacturer's had a go. You know, Holden had a bit of a purple that people did or didn't agree with. I actually don't mind them. It'll it'll, it'll sell probably just north of you know two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. But the um, when if you click on there was an article about it, it, it ran the original ad that went with it, <laughs> and, it and it's the hatchback. It's the one that came with that tent kit that you could just hang off. A pop up ba- camper thing. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> and in the ad <laughs> it said first class accommodation, <laughs> and I just thought so mid seventy. I just, I mean, you couldn't get away with that now. You know, I mean, gosh, we've got woke now. But even if you rewound the the clock 10 years ago, you can't lie to civilians like that. You can't go, we've got a bit of canvas you hang off the back of a hatchback and that's considered first-class accommodation. Now, because we dedicated a bit of time to Jeff's trip with um, zero low emission vehicle discussion being so, so topical at the moment, we didn't do our usual deep dive into VFAX this month. So just keep an eye on the VACC official social channels, their website, and even uh, the Herald Sun or Hobart Mercury, because Steve Bletsos, who works for us, is going to run it through his 
uh, flux capacitor stat machine thingy, whatever it is, and cover off uh, any interesting findings. And maybe we'll call it the Bletsos Extrapolator. Mm, and we'll have more like VFAX news next month. I like that. Looking for reliability? Switch to Denso, and you'll understand why their products outperform anything else in the industry, from ignition coils to engine management sensors, AC components and alternators to filters and fuel pumps and a whole lot more, plus cutting-edge spark plug technology that makes Denso plugs sought after worldwide, built to last the distance and keep you on our roads longer, thanks to some industry-leading testing facilities that they have right here in our own backyard in Australia. At your next service, be sure to ask for Denso. You can find your part at denso.com.au. This is a great, and I mean great, time of year. Off the back of footy finals, there's Bathurst 1000, heaven for petrol heads. And we talked a bit about that with Hall of Famer Neil Crompton recently on the grill, but... This October also marks the return of the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix. Damn you, pandemic. We have missed MotoGP at Phillip Island, but it is back. And our feature guest today has been helping to drive awareness of the return of this great event. He properly, and I mean properly, loves bikes, racing, got a world championship on the CV in Supersport, and he's a MotoGP race winner too. And in post-competition life, he has become a gun broadcaster because he's learned from one of the best, the legendary Barry Sheen, his mentor, Chris Vermeulen. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Rusty. What an intro. I've got a, something to live up to now. <laughs> Learning from one of the best, I've got to say, one of the first guys I worked in television with was with you, Rusty, and uh, and Daryl Beatty years ago at the Australian Grand Prix. So um, you taught me a lot. I still don't know what I'm doing properly yet, but um, I just talk motorbikes. And like you said, I, I love motorbikes and I love this time of year, the Australian Grand Prix coming up. We haven't had a race there for, what, since 2019. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a big one. I'm looking forward to it. If you live to tell the tale after working with Daryl Booty, you've done well, my friend. Now, Australia's Jack Miller is in great shape coming into this off the back of a win in Japan and, and podiums and so on. There's lots of reasons, Chris, to be excited about the island, isn't there? Talking about Jack Miller, like let, let's start with the Aussie, the Aussie that's informed that race in Japan. That was sensational, you know. He how strong he was. He just he dominated the field, and then and then in Thailand to uh, you know be so close to the win again. He was fast in those mixed conditions, and, and it was drying out. It was really difficult for those guys to manage the wet tires on that drying track. But I mean, coming into form, and we saw. He's had podiums here at Phillip Island. He's only 40 points off the lead of the world championship now. You know, if Jack comes down here and has a really good race, he's in with a shot. So fantastic time of year. It's it's going to be great to see him again uh, at the island and, and and see all the internationals down here again. So uh, really looking forward to it. While we're talking about the island, I've, I've done a lot of track days. Well, a, a few track days there. I think uh, my best lap time was I got it down to three months, two days and 10 hours. <laughs> but, uh, in fact, uh, in the pits, they didn't hold up any pit boards. They used to hold up the day's paper and I used to see about two or three <laughs> days go past on the pit boards. But, mate, um, I've, I've been around on, you know, on bikes, but nowhere near as quick as the bikes you get around on. What is it like? I mean, we all know, I've, I've even heard you say it before, that, you know, it's one of the best tracks in the world and, and I'd love to hear your opinion about whether that's an exaggeration or whether it's actually the truth. It's I feel it's the truth, but you're more qualified. But what's it like hustling, you know, MotoGP bike around that amazing track? So there's two questions. Is it the best track in the world? Yes, yes. 
and I and I got to say I am biased, and I and, and I do think it's the best track in the world. But I'm an Aussie, you know, and it was great to come home and and, and race in Australia. But um, all the Europeans love coming here, and and I think the thing with Phillip Island is the circuit. It's one of the old school racing tracks. It's got, you know, it's not one of these ones that were designed on a computer um, to be far, good for bikes, good for cars, to do this, to do that. There's there's no runoff areas here. I mean, the bikes are 330 k's an hour. There's grass on the edge of the track, so you don't make mistakes. The speed, it's the highest average speed track we go to. I mean, it's hard to control a bike doing 330 k's an hour with 300 horsepower that wants to. All it wants to do is throw you off the back it, when you're accelerating. It wants to throw you over the front when you grab the brakes, and, and it doesn't want to turn. But other than that, they're really nice to ride, you know. But it, <laughs> it is just so much fun. And then, and then you get the spectacle. I mean, it is Phillip Island, so the weather's not always great down there. But when it is, I mean that view. You crest the top of the hill, you know, on the Gardner mm, Strait under the yeah. bridge and and you just bash straight out in front of you. It is just sensational. And, and that is the thing most people don't know, isn't it, Chris? And, and I've, I've obviously been on that track, as I said. When you come down the straight, you just see horizon and ocean. Like it looks like you're about to ride into the heavens but drowned in the process. That's the <laughs> truth, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You're exactly right. You're exactly right, Shay. And it is. It's 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 a, it's a puckering moment, you know. Like um, you, you get down there and you are flying. And if there's a tailwind or a sidewind and the bike doesn't want to turn, it's um, it's pretty scary to try and get the thing stopped and, and to get it turned in. Hey, Chris, it's uh, Jeff Gwilym here, and uh, you know I'm a bit fascinated with shape. I love shape, and I used to you know teach sort of fiberglass studies in in institutes years ago. And when you look at the power to weight ratio on motorcycles and the the things that people do to give them an edge, you know, you'd know what some of those really small things are. But when I look at like fairings and wings on fairings and those sorts of things, I mean, I'm just asking you for a bit of secret information here, Chris. Does somebody (laughs) come to you and go, (laughs) by by the way, Chris, I've got these little tiny fins to go on your fairing here. I reckon they need to go about there and this will give you an edge. I mean, how does that work? I I mean, with the technology is filtering through, I've got to say Formula One is the highest technology. The most money is spent you know, in that in that championship, um, and and that's where it goes. But it does filter down to MotoGP, um, and, and there's a lot of Formula One technicians that work in the MotoGP paddock. So, you know how important downforce is with Formula One car. Well, it works similar, yeah. but yeah. with a bike, you, you've got the leaning angle to add in, um, and and you've got a yeah. rider that moves his his body weight on the motorcycle within a car that the car doesn't lean. And, uh, and the driver sits stationary. So they're the biggest differences. But, yes, those aero, you know, it's uh, those little differences, all that carbon fibre and where they put the wings. And, and obviously when there's 300 k's an hour or 250 or, or whatever of, yeah. of air yeah. going over those wings, it does change the way the bike works. So yeah. there's so much technology in our sport now. They change the shape of the bike. They lower the bikes as they're exiting the corner to stop wheelie so much. They put these wings in to put more force on the tyres to to keep their temperature into the tyres and keep the tyre pushing into the ground. It's not easy. So that's why there's a lot of engineers in the back of the garages mm. trying to give the best package for the rider. As a rider, you go out there and you try to get the most out of the package that's given to you and then and give the information back yeah. and, and and try and improve it. So it's a, it's an ever-evolving thing. And um, like we always say, there's no such thing as a perfect bike. Nothing's perfect. It's always a compromise and you try to improve in an area that's uh, not going to take away from somewhere else. 
And there have been some very clever Aussies working in the background of some of those pit garages over the years and continuing to do so. Chris, we mentioned Baz in the intro. It was his birthday recently. He would have been 72. And it's crazy to think, mate, that he's been gone nearly 20 years now. He was really he was really good to you, wasn't he? And commercially, Baz was just super savvy. Oh, wasn't he super savvy? Well, you you worked with him, Rusty, and uh, I think he gave you a pretty cool nickname back in the day. But um, he, uh, he he was just a sensational bloke. I mean, Barry Sheen was a legend when I was growing up and uh, from the motorcycling world, but also, you know, working in television and, and just a cool guy. And, and when I was a young kid starting to do well and he invited me down to his house, I mean, you get a business card off him, Barry Sheen, MBE um, and the address is the Manor House. It's like, wow, this this guy's pretty cool, isn't he? But he was just a larrick and he was just such a great bloke, so so helpful uh, in my career. Um, and 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 so many Aussies, you know, Troy Corson, Mick Doohan, he he just wanted to help so many Aussies get overseas and and, and get an opportunity. And um, it is really sad when 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 I talk about him, but I I just remember him for the great guy he was. And and then during my career, I always used the number seven racing number because Barry always, you know, famously rode that number seven to two world championships and and, and many more race wins. So, um, you know, that was my homage to him. But uh, I still still get on with the family well. Actually saw his son, Freddie, over in England recently. I was at the Silverstone Grand Prix and he was there. So family's still involved in bikes and uh, really great to see. Mate, not sure if you know, I was involved in Top Gear for a while. Now, is there any truth to the rumour that you purchased the car off Hammo, Richard Hammond, at one stage? I did. I did. And... Uh, yeah, I, I purchased a Morgan Aramax, believe it or not. There was a, there was a limited edition car that came yeah. out and I wasn't important enough to get on the list to get one, but Hammond did. And then uh, he had it for a couple of years. He actually used it on the on the show, I think, once, yeah. so it was probably flogged. But, um, well, you, you probably know more about that, Shane. How, how, how hard do you drive these things around? Was I getting a good buy or was it something that was that was completely worn out? I don't know, but um, it was a cool car. I brought it back to Australia. Um, it was the only one in the country because none came to Australia originally, and um, I sold it because um, I was got changes in life. Family is only a two seater. Kids were coming and all that sort of thing. But now my kids are older. I'm thinking, oh, maybe did I sell it? Was it the right thing to do? It was, it was a very cool car, but uh, you never know. I might get one again. Well, the truth is, um, to answer your question about how hard we used to drive the cars, you know the answer. Because it is a little bit like, don't be, don't be gentle, it's a rental. Everyone used to say, how hard do you drive? And we, and we used to say, well, it wasn't our car nor our insurance, you tell me. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I was, I was, I was in the, I was in the, we were in, uh, this is going to sound like a complete over-exaggeration here, a bit of a toss, but we were, we were on a chopper and he pulled out this um, spreadsheet that he was looking at and it was an Excel spreadsheet. It was just a list of all these cars. And I said, oh, what's all that? Is that a shopping list? He said, no, 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 they're all mine. Oh, and what it was, wow. it was from his insurance company, which was him working out the insurance on all of the cars wow. that he had. Unbelievable. And it was a multiple page spreadsheet. And I went, Can you yeah, imagine with his history week. as well, Shane, like the amount of crashes he's had <laughs> and his job occupation? I can't imagine his insurance was I kind of I, I reckon he was a high risk <laughs> insurer insurer, you know what I mean? Like I, the, the number was gonna be pretty big. <laughs> yeah, well well the biggest crash he had, as you would remember, was in a jet car. But let's be honest, you know, Jeremy and James always said he should never have got in that thing. That was a jet, you know, a jet-powered yeah, car correct. built in a guy's garage. What could possibly go right? <laughs> exactly. Hey, um, hey, Chris, we've got a, a whole lot of uh, dealer members at the VACC, motorcycle dealers, and we get really good feedback on the podcast and the grill on that. So, you know, they'll be listening to this. 
One of the things that sort of astounded us as we went into COVID is motorcycle sales took off. Yeah. Now, I mean, I don't know if you knew that, Chris, and whether you could feel that in the vibe, if you like, but what happened when you lock a country down and motorcycle sales, we, we almost sold out of motorcycles in the whole of Australia. What, what happened, Chris? I don't know what happened. I know the dealers were happy. I've got a few mates that are involved in, in the industry and, and dealers. And I, I could tell the manufacturers were loving it. And, and you know, I used to get good deals on bikes because of, of what I did and there'd always be stock, plenty of stock mm. in the country. So it was bad for me yeah. because I'd go to one of the manufacturers and I like my bikes as well. I've got a few toys <laughs> in the shed. I'd say, oh, I, I wouldn't mind getting one of these models. Oh, you can't get it for, for three months. I'm going, you what? You know, like that's that doesn't help me out. I want it now. But um, but no, it's it's fantastic for the industry. I think it's so good, um, you know, that, that people were getting back into it. And I don't know whether it was because you couldn't travel or uh, go overseas and, and people wanted to spend their money and use their toys here. But um, I'm a motorcyclist through and through, and I just think it, it, it's fantastic for, for our whole industry, really. Speaking of uh, of uh, wind in the hair, so to speak, although you would have had helmets on, some great pics made of you and Casey Stoner out riding recently and riding to the island, in fact. Um, he's had some well-documented battles with chronic fatigue, but he looked he looked great. How's he going? He is. And, you know, I see Casey occasionally. We've, we've known each other since, oh, gee, I was about, I'm a few years older than him. I was probably about 14. He was about 11 when we first met and we were racing dirt bikes against each other. So we've known each other for a long time. And what a motorbike rider, you know, from what, as my career goes, I would have been pretty good if Casey Stoner wasn't on track. You know, he was the best guy in the world. He was out there, he knew what he was doing and, and could ride a bike better than anyone else. But um, he's had some health issues, like you said, Rusty, and chronic fatigue being a big one. And it's it's played such havoc with his with his whole life in general. Um, but he looked really good. We did this ride down to the island. He, he normally doesn't like doing a lot of PR, but he was up for it. And uh, we had a great time. And he was, you know... We, we got to do some laps of the track, albeit slow and on adventure bikes, but we rode from, from the city of Melbourne down to the island and, uh, and did the whole day. And um, like I said, we, they, they had us mic'd up and they were recording us for hours. And, and we talked so much rubbish about the old days, about riding our dirt bikes, about racing GP bikes, about, you know, getting back to the island. And um, yeah, Casey was really on form. He, he seems well, he seems happy and he's excited to come to the GP. So he hasn't been to Phillip Island since 2013 when uh, wow. famously Turn 3 was named after him. And uh, he's excited. He's going to be back this year. He's going to be doing some demo laps down there, I think, some slow slow laps right into the crowd. And um, it, it's really cool that he's he's excited, he's healthy, and uh, and wants to get involved in the sport again. And, mate, I've got to tell you, I, I've watched the video of you guys down there. It was fantastic. I, I know you were joking that, you know, you wonder how they got a good show out of all the rubbish you think you were talking. But it was actually it was fantastic hearing you two talk through corners um, I was glued to it, mate, because, you know, what you guys do on a bike is is, is, is incredible. Um, everyone knows that. But to hear you guys talk about what you do in a corner and what you both do that's slightly different and, you know, the case, you know, where he goes in and goes in late, I, I, you know, I was I was riveted to it. And anyone that likes getting on anything with two wheels would be mad not to watch that video online. Mate, uh, your hot rod collection, um, what do you got in your garage? It's a bit of a family passion, isn't it? It is a family passion. I I, I got that shame from, from my old man and some of my uncle's. Uh, been into cars their their whole lives, so I got a bit of the hot rodding sort of you know gene come through. So I like the uh, I like the early stuff. Um, I've got a hot rod that we built a 1929 Hupmobile, an Australian car. It was a, originally a four door sedan and timbered doors and all that. We we cut it out, 
we made it a two door. We lengthened the doors, but still a four seater. It's like a pickup back. It's got a 360 Mopar Chrysler engine in the front with no bonnet top or sides, and it it's pretty low. Um, it looks pretty tough. So I love that thing. I've got my uh, 1954 Ford F100 that I've had. Oh gee, for about 20 years now with a um, fuel injected uh, V8 Ford motor in it. So so that's pretty cool. I actually took the kids to school in that the morning this morning. So the kids love uh, getting a run in in the in the red truck, the big red truck they call it. So um so so I get out in that a fair bit and. Uh, and we've got an I've got an XP Falcon that with my old man as well. That's an it's a new project we're gonna look at playing with. So a uh, few cars in the shed. I've had a few more years, but when you stop racing, you don't earn the money like I used to. I had to get rid of a few. But uh, no, I'm only joking. It was just uh it's just really space in the shed and, and got rid of a few toys and, and change a few up. So but love playing with the old cars really. Well mate, let's go if we can't afford it, let's go halves in a thirty two Ford, hey? Five window. Coop, done. Aren't they beautiful? I had a 33 Ford. Um, oh. only sold it about three, four years ago, and it was cool. It had 411 gears, 383 stroker. It, it had wheel stands, so do love me old hot rods. <laughs> Wouldn't with me in it. <laughs> Depends where you're sitting. Unless you're in the back. Chris, but great to talk to you. The Grand Prix at Phillip Island is on October 14 to 16. Cannot wait to see you there. And he is hoping that a Jack Miller shoey on the podium happens. We really appreciate you coming on the grill for a chat today. Yeah, oh, great to talk to you guys, and uh, I'm up for it too. Come on, Miller. We'd love to see him on the podium. That'd be great to see. Oh, what a fantastic guy! But Rusty, what a missed opportunity. I didn't, we didn't get to talk about the bucket hat. He made that Terry Telling hat <laughs> so popular. Like anyone that wants to Google him, it, like everyone's getting around in these cool. I, I loved him for it. Everyone was getting around in cool baseball caps. I get it, it's a sponsor thing that you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's part. It comes with the fabric of racing, doesn't it? You put the sponsor's name of whatever it is <laughs> on your cap. But he wore the Terry Telling hat. Do you know, he, he, he was with the factory Suzuki team at the time and I think he went to their merchandise guys and said, I've got this crazy idea. Like, because Baz was good with that stuff about try different things commercially and so on. Yeah. I mean, kids nowadays, my teenage kids, they love the thought of a bucket hat. They're back in in vogue more or less. But he was he was kind of re-pioneering it back then and they went, you're crazy. This is not going to work. And, it wasn't and, in vogue and, when he was doing it, was it? And they sold like hotcakes. They actually sold really yeah. well because it was unique. And, mate, uh, just to, while you're reflecting on Barry Sheen there, um, last night, Rusty, I literally got home uh, late from a flight um, sat on my couch and uh, and every now and then I'd go and flick through what I might find on motorsport. And Fox was running reruns of the 1998 Bathurst. Amazing. Um, with you and Barry yep. Sheen and uh, and I was looking at a very young, um, equally as eager as you are today about motorsport, Greg Russ with uh, with Barry. Mate, it was fantastic. Yeah. I literally sat up and watched the entire thing. There was It, it was kind of um, edited down a little bit. They got rid of all the, obviously, the, the laps behind pace cars, but um, safety cars. But... Um, mate, I, I got to listen to you and Barry. It was fantastic. I literally sat up until one forty-five this morning yeah. watching the two of you and that amazing race with, the, of course, the massive crash that happened. But there Thank you go, you, mate. I was listening to you talk alongside Barry Sheen just last night. In in truth, I only got to know him in the in the latter part of his life, the final five years of his life, I suppose. But he was very, very good to me. And uh, you know, there'd be little things like driving home from a racetrack. I'd ring mum to you know see how things were going, and he would chat with my mother. He was unbelievable. Oh, hello, Anne, how you going, darling? Blah blah. And then, you know, <laughs> and in the broadcast sense, um, 
to weave a motor racing, a motorcycle racing guy into a car racing broadcast today mm. is probably not something that you would contemplate. But it was a stroke of genius because he was such a good yeah. entertainer and yeah. so good with the, with the fans. And the supercars community embraced, and they miss him, mate. Having supplied more than 300 million clutch kits to OE clients, Exidy has earned a reputation for trust, respect and quality. All Exidy OEM replacement kits include high-quality cover assemblies, clutch discs and release bearings and are manufactured to strict specifications for fitment, longevity and noise suppression. When you choose to fit an OEM replacement kit from Exidy's extensive range, you'll enjoy the same loyalty that they demonstrate to OE clients around the globe. Find out more at exidy.com.au. Our member guest this month doesn't just look after Aussie automotive businesses or service a particular territory. He looks after a whole state. Bruce McIntosh is the state manager for TACC or the Tasmanian Automotive Chamber of Commerce based in Hobart. He is on the line. Bruce, welcome. Good to be here, guys. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for that introduction. Great to have you with us. How long have you been in this job for now? Um, I'm coming up nearly 12 months now, Greg, so I've got my feet firmly under the table now. You've come from an automotive background. I think it's probably worth um, establishing that. It it is a a natural connection for you, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I I started my apprenticeship as a mechanic in 1975 in New Zealand and um, began working in in a light automotive uh, car dealership, and uh, that progressed into a um, more the, the heavy truck side of things. So I ended up uh, becoming a diesel mechanic after a 9,000-hour apprenticeship. What part of New Zealand were you in? Uh, I come from the east coast of New Zealand, a little place called Fokatani on the east coast, uh, the Bay of Plenty. I know it well. My wife is from Hawke's Bay, so awesome, uh, awesome. Now, the TACC joined the VACC. We're using a lot of acronyms there, but, but Tassie really does, Bruce, punch above its weight, doesn't it? Hey, we've been around, I'm told, for nearly 100 years now, Greg, here in wow. here in Tasmania. Yeah, so um, I hope I'm still around when that anniversary comes up. Um, <laughs> that'll depend on these gentlemen sitting here with us. But, um, yeah, we do. We, we punch above our weight. We, um, we've got um, a good, strong membership. We've got a group training scheme down here with um, automotive apprentices. So, yeah, we, we do okay. Coming up to 100 years... Uh, okay, I smell road trip um, <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, I've got a bit of an idea. It's just, look, it's just, just come out of my head, you know, maybe one car from every year uh, oh, travelling together, yeah. maybe 100 cars. It's, I don't know where I got the idea from, you know. Maybe there was a guy called David Dassey. Yeah, he's having us. a heart attack yeah, thinking yeah. about it. When, yeah. when, when David hears this podcast, he'll go, not again, <laughs> it nearly killed me, but it didn't kill there him. There goes the marketing budget, Shane. See? <laughs> now, someone tell me if I'm right or wrong. The federal government's working on bigger boats and more frequent trips to Tasmania as part of they the are. federal highway scheme. Indeed. So getting 100 cars on a boat is more achievable. Yeah, you could do it. Look, I'm just going to jump straight to it. I'm glad we've all agreed. Looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, Bruce? 
Yeah, I think we better address that budget, Jeff. I'm all for this. Let's let's make it happen. <laughs> hey, Bruce, there's a couple of good things happening in in your part of the world. You know, from um, you know some of our smaller, uh, more passionate members that Jeff talked about there before, but even sort of big end projects that are starting to make headlines right around the country, for that matter. I mean, Porsche very recently committing a huge amount of money to a, a project around you know an environmentally friendly. Um, you know, form of fuel production in your part of the world, basically. Yeah, yeah. So um, we did a little bit of press on that just recently. Um, so up in the northwest of the state, there's um, plans to build a, a hydrogen plant up there. Um, I think the big thing that probably industry needs to grab hold of at the moment and, and government need to grab hold of it at the moment on that one is to, to see how much of it's going to retain remain local um, rather than shipping it off to, to Australia. So... Um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a bit going on. There's there's some other things happening, if I may, guys. Um, we've been um, instructed by or uh, asked by the government to get involved in a um, code of conduct for the, for the body repair and insurance industry uh, in the interest of the consumer and public. So they are great things to get involved in. Big news for the for the chamber down here. So we're, we're flat out uh, working our way through that and a lot of work going in there from our local body repair members as well. Membership growth's a key one for you too, Bruce, isn't it? You've been doing some good work in that area with some good plans too. <laughs> hey, hey, look, when you look at the numbers, um, the work's yet to be done, but we're, we've identified a fair bit of market that we've never really um, had a good look at. Uh, you know, Tasmania, even though it's a small landmass, when you uh, when you get down here and you, you, know, you spend four or five hours driving from one side of the state to the other, you soon realise how parochial it is. But also, you also realise where uh, industry's always been based, and and we're strong in the south as a chamber. But you know, most of Tasmania's industry, you know, the forestry industry, the mining industry, uh, agriculture has always been very strong in the north. So that's driven the trades, and and we haven't really um, capitalised on that over the years. But we are now. Um, so we've got plans to grow some membership up there, and and uh, Steve's machine identified a whole bunch of uh, members up there that we've we've got to put some effort into. So we've geared up with some new people um, and we are currently yeah, bringing those those people into the into the chamber and, and teaching them what we need to teach them to, to, to uh, develop new membership. And, and we also want to increase the group training scheme because we're just desperate for people at the moment in our trades. Bruce, you mentioned driving across that beautiful state of Tasmania. Uh, we've mentioned it before on the show. It must be fantastic, especially it seems you've come from abroad, if you will, across the ditch, that you are you are in the place that Sterling Moss famously said when they said to him, what's the best road you've ever driven on or raced on? And he said any road in Tasmania because he competed. Mm. Um, that's right, isn't it, Rusty? Didn't he, Sterling Moss have a uh, – it went in one of the and early Targas or something and that was his yeah, statement. Okay. And when you would look at famous tracks back in the day like Longford, Shane and and um, and Little Wonder, I mean, and Bruce will be very familiar with the fact that over summer uh, we used to attract some of the absolute – Grand Prix legends to that part of the world and certainly to uh, to New Zealand as well. Yeah. Hey, Bruce, before we let you go, we always love a good fun fact or a fun yarn. In all your years of working in automotive, is there a is there a, a funny yarn you can share with us before you go? Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, do you want to talk workshop yarns, Greg? Um, please, please. <laughs> yes. Really? yes, we do. So, so – <laughs> Here's a second year apprentice working on a Land Rover. We were just talking about Land Rovers before with, with Her Majesty the Queen. And um, I got the task of repowering a 
Series 2 Land Rover with a, with a Holden 202. So I'd been working on this thing for three or four days, had the bonnet up, and it's the bonnet with the spare tyre on it. So um, so Bruce is under there. He's got a block in front of him. He's leaning over. He's got this engine running. She's nice and warm. His elbow moves, and he knocks the stand <laughs> that holds the bonnet up. So the big Land Rover bonnet with the flat with the spare tyre on it comes down and and plants him fair on top of the top hose with the fan going around and oh, after a, no. bit, a broken nose, a, a bitten top hose and sprayed oh. with hot water. I was the laughing stock of the workshop. It's <laughs> a horror story. Oh, you survived mm. to tell the tale and you're still passionate about automotive. That's amazing, mate. Well done. That would receive all sorts of safety breaches in today's world, but um, yeah, it was a, it was a definitely a uh, a blooding moment for a young bloke. In, in an apprenticeship. Bruce, it's been fabulous to get you uh, on the show today. Congratulations on the great work that you're doing down there and, and continuing to do. Um, I feel like Shane and I could kind of, in a friendly, in a good way, because the pair of the organisations are working so well together, but it's almost like uh, Jeff in the blue corner, Bruce in the red corner, <laughs> who's performing better, V-A-C-C-T-A-C-C. Um, but we wish you well and stay in touch with us and we'll get you back on the grill at some stage in the future. Okay. Hey, thanks, gentlemen. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Cheers, mate. See you down there for our road trip, Bruce. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making it happen. (laughs) Time to open the grill mail, sitting nice and neatly here in the glove box in order. Uh, No crumpled envelopes. That does not happen, does it? Crumpled in the glove box. Uh, One here from... For me, in fact, from Trent in Hobart. Can you guys please get Oscar Piastri on the show? Do you know what? We can ask that question for you, um, Trent, but he has been a little bit quiet in the media of late, and that's understandable. I actually saw um, Mark Webber at the Singapore Grand Prix recently, and Mark is in Oscar's corner in a in a management sense. Um, it's been quite a process, all of that, from Oscar switching from the Alpine team to McLaren next year. Probably what I would say, Trent, is that I feel he was unfairly treated um, by some in the public eye and certainly some sections of the media who did not know the full story and did not give it a balanced coverage. Is that why you think he's withdrawing from press? Uh, I, 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 I think it's been a careful and calculated return. He's only just done a little bit of press that I've seen recently, Shane. Um, the words that were used at the time were like, Uh, disloyal or not loyal. Let me tell you, Oscar Piastri is a very loyal bloke and the people that are in his corner are absolute straight shooters. So to suggest that Mm. there's something, you know, kind of clandestine and that he went against, um, you know, what was agreed to, I I don't believe. So he's gradually uh, getting back there. We'll ask the question and we'll see if we can certainly get him on uh, at some stage for you, Trent, because he's a ripper fella and it's a good story for Australia. Here's one for Shane from Sharni in Mount Barker there in the Adelaide Hills. Come on, Shane. What's going on with the Ford versus Holden movie? Mate, it's 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 happening. It's happening. It's 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 Juco's being polished as we speak. Um Yes, it's it, it it it's getting close, really, really close. I've got a I've got a session coming up to do a whole bunch of voiceover stuff for it. So it, it's, it's, it. it's 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 still worth the wait. It's coming. It's in cool. the garage. It's in the cool. garage. There's fuel in it. There's oil in it. One for Jeff from Doug, and this kind of gets back to what we were talking uh, about a little bit earlier in this episode. So seeing that there's all this talk about EVs coming into play and Australia being one of the largest purchasers of Utes. 
would it be practical to get them built here, Jeff? What do you reckon? I think you could uh, as a partly assembled vehicle with a battery and motor fitted here. Um, you don't need to build the whole thing. Uh, economically, you're more likely to do that. But hey, if somebody wanted to build utes here, and I'm, this is a message for government, back them in, get back into car manufacturing, we lost a lot. I reckon there's some good organisations out there, some good startups with ideas in this space. So maybe that's something we'll talk about in a, in another episode. Now, it would not be an ep of the grill, and our final segment would not be complete without tackling this. Blow it out your tail, <laughs> Now, it's only a quick one because uh, Ed, our producer, is staring at me and tapping his finger on his watch going, God, we're out of time, we're out of time. <laughs> I think he's going to throw a pen at me. Um, it's only a quick one because uh, I, I just got reminded, I had a friend that wrote a book. <clears throat> um, we'll talk, uh, motorbox has been a bit of a theme today, hasn't it? For some reason, we've been motorboxes come into our sphere. Um, <clears throat> but um, we're talking about emissions. It's a bit of a hot topic. And a friend of mine said, "Did a friend of yours do something on a bike?" And and he didn't want to have too much being blown out of his tailpipe. So it's a guy I know called Paul Carter. He wrote a book, um, his first book that sort of shot him to to author fame, if you will, or stardom. Was he wrote a book called? Don't tell mum I work on the oil rig. She thinks I play piano in a whorehouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a title. And it's a hell of a title and he sold over a million copies of it around wow. the world. He did. Uh, I mean, well, you know, without giving away too much, he, he did okay out of that because he ended up driving an Aston Martin. He had a DB9 and nice. at that point you've probably sold a few books. Yeah, um, yeah that was his book because he did genuinely work on an oil rig um, but it was so bad, he, his theory was, it would be better to tell your mum you played piano in a whorehouse than confess you're actually working on these oil rigs where he worked. Yeah. Um, but his second book um, was called Is That Thing Diesel? Um, oh. And it was just to say, he, uh, yeah, he did, a friend of mine said, you shouldn't mention that. He did ride a motorbike on biofuel. He rode it oh, around yeah, Australia. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the thing ran on used cooking oil. Yeah. Um, and he did that because he Possible. he wanted to have a look at what he couldn't blow out of his tailpipe. <laughs> uh, he wanted to do it more friendly rather than refined fuel. So there you go. So, yeah, yes, he did. He wrote it around Australia. Paul Carter, that's what he did. Blow that out your tailpipe. That is it for this episode. We will dive back into VFAX next month as we get closer to the all-important end-of-year numbers, and we may be doing something a little special. Oh, is this our Tassie trip? Is this the Tassie trip? <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very expensive Tassie trip, I can tell. <laughs> so we may be doing something a little special on site, like we did at the GP and uh, with Denso earlier this year, but this time at the Aussie HQ of our good mates at Bendix Breaks. Stay tuned there. On behalf of Jeff, Shane and all of the team, we'll catch you next time, folks. Bye for now. See you on the road, yeah, folks. Right. Maybe even in Tassie. <laughs> This episode was brought to you by Bendix Brakes, Denso and Exidy. The Grill, a collaboration with VACC, the Victorian Automotive Chamber of Commerce and powered by Listener. Listener.